The Ohio State football team is rolling along, and so are we. Episode 4 of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope. Got Colin Haas Hill here with me. Uh, you think he's a little sick, but he's playing for the pain here today. Listen, this is like my flu game, but it's a headache game. Well, let's see if we can get a, a Michael Jordan-like performance out of you. Uh, episode 4, uh, this is the last game before uh, coaches have to make a decision on whether to burn our red shirt. So uh, we need to make it a good one and prove we're ready to go. I think I might just have to take a red shirt with uh, whatever <laughs> I got going on here. we got to try to get Colin healthy here, uh, but... Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, before we get right into it, I want to let you guys know we are on uh, all the major audio streaming platforms now iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, lots of different options for you. So uh, wherever you like to listen to your podcast, uh, if you haven't checked us out there already, uh, check us out. Uh, subscribe if you can. Uh, give us a good rating if you can. Uh, and let us know what you want to hear. Uh, hopefully, uh, be nice with your feedback. But uh, we want to we want to know uh, what what you guys want to hear from us. So uh, uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed the first three episodes and a lot to talk about here in episode four. Uh, so let's get right into it. Uh, Ohio State, another really impressive performance this past weekend at Indiana, a fifty-one to ten win. Uh, really another dominant performance by the Buckeyes. Uh, there was some talk going into the game. Is it going to be a trap game? People talking about past struggles at Indiana in the past. But really, other than a little bit of a slow first quarter, uh, once they got into the second quarter, uh, scored a few touchdowns in a row, really opened up the floodgates, and it was just obvious that Ohio State was a far, far better team at Indiana. Yeah, I've never felt more dumb in my entire life. Like I bought, I bought into this solely because like I'm not, a, I'm not better. I'm not like a Vegas dude. But when the line came out and it was 14, I was like, man, they must know something about the Hoosiers. I don't. We we've been doing a, a staff score predictions thing at 11 Warriors ever since I've been here, and I and I ask the different members of the staff what their score predictions are going to be. And Colin had probably the most unusual score prediction I've ever seen for this game. He had Ohio State beating Indiana. 32 to 18. I I think when I sent you that message, then I followed up like 49 nothing, and I was like, just we'll just roll 32 18. He's like, I got no idea. Like this, like I I feel like I feel like they know something I don't because they knew something that I didn't before the the game before. You're not you're not wrong, but Vegas does often know better. Uh, those of us who have bet on a football game or two uh, has learned that the hard way. But you know, I think I said. During the week, I think I said on a podcast last week, I was really confident the Buckeyes were going to cover this game. And that was even before we knew that Michael Penix wasn't going to be able to play for Indiana. And that certainly hurt, but I honestly don't think it would have made that much of a difference. Uh, the way Ohio State's playing right now, they're really looking like a complete team. They're taking care of business in games they're supposed to. And just watching this game, uh, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, Ohio State was just clearly the better team in all phases of the game. Yeah, I mean, the, like the thing is, and everyone can talk about, like you look at the opponents and it's like, all right, Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, Indiana. Like none are even remotely close to the team speed and team talent that Ohio State has. So like, Absolutely. sure, you have, to, you have to say that every single time. But, but we've also been around, we've seen Ohio State teams either struggle with those types of teams or have one area that sort of crops up as a, as a common theme, a common problem, and it's really hard, it's really hard to, to find those. I know Ryan Day, he has to say that there are things that are going wrong. He can't come out after beating Indiana, Cincinnati, and Florida Atlantic and say things are perfect because, like, how do you motivate a team by with, with that? It's like it makes sense why he's sort of taken a tact where, where – he, he wants to, whether it be, I want to say like decrease the expectation, but sort of like keep his players' minds in check. They don't, he doesn't want them to think that just because they beat Indiana by 41, they'll, they'll do the same to, to, to a Michigan State, even, even though Michigan State didn't exactly, didn't exactly thrive. Well, yeah, I think uh, the big refrain, um, now that we're a few games into Ryan Day's head coaching tenure, we've kind of figured out what you know, his Dayisms are. We knew or Urban. Uh, he kind of had his things that he would say repeatedly. And I think the biggest one that stood out for me of day is we see the issues on film. we got to go back to the film. Uh, you watch the film, you see issues. Uh, he said a ver- variation of that after every single game so far. And that seems to be the big message of the team is, yeah, we, we played well. Yeah, we got to win. Uh, he says he's been really pleased with the effort and the toughness and things like that that he's preached, but he just keeps going back to when you go back and watch the film, it's far yeah. from perfect. There's things that show up, and he really is harping 
on those different things that he sees that are not perfect. Yeah, and today. So today's Tuesday. He had his uh, press conference today, and and mentioning like specifically what you say. You By the time only, you're listening to the show, it will be Wednesday, yes. but we do record it on Tuesdays. Um, when when you hear Ryan Day talk about um, those, those issues that he sees on film, like he sort of shows his hand when when someone asked him, "All right, like you don't have to get too specific, but like what are what are these things that are the issues?" And he said, it's not just one or two things, it's, it's, it's stance, it's alignment, it's execution, it's all these things, which like, all right, so let's take a step back. You know what that means? Like, even he knows there isn't this one single issue, there isn't this one glaring hole, and that's a good thing um, for Ohio State. Um, he's never going to actually say that, but like reading through the lines, that is, that is what he meant. That is, that is what he meant. They have to, they have to continue to fine-tune these things. Yeah, I mean, I read that answer in two ways. One is... If there were major issues, he's not going to tell us because he'd also be telling the, the next opponent at the same time. So if there's something he's seeing on film that really is something that opponents can expose, he wouldn't be telling us. But I think from us watching, from our amateur viewpoints, we're, we're not we're not the coaches, so there's surely things that they're seeing that were not that the average fan is not seeing. But I, I agree with from, that. But for one sec, sorry, um, like in the past, like last year. Like, there were things that they couldn't hide from. There were things that, like, if you asked about and you asked, and you asked Urban, Urban what's, like, what's, what's an issue with your defense? Like, he can't say, like, you know, it's not one thing. It's, it's just a lot of little things. No, it was actually, it was more a lot of big things. Usually, oftentimes, it's, it's, it's a couple big things and maybe a lot of little things. But for this Ohio State team, like, what, what's, the, what's the biggest weakness? I know it's the same thing that we've been harping on, but it's actually the most staggering part of this team. It's the most impressive. It's the most impressive part of this team to me. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to pick a big weakness for this team. I don't even know what that answer would be because so far they've been strong in all areas. And again, I think it's important to keep perspective that they have played FAU, Cincinnati, and Indiana. I Do you want to like have like an audio drop that we just play every five minutes where we just like say that because like we because we constantly are just going to repeat that until they actually play someone who we think is on their level? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 true. It's something that I think needs to be remembered. It's certainly going to need to be remembered this upcoming week uh, against Miami. And to be honest, we're not even really going to talk about the upcoming game against Miami because you don't care. It's such a lopsided game. We don't care. Uh, to be, to be completely honest with you, uh, this upcoming week is going to be a game that uh, is going to be more just about the Buckeyes improving. And, you know, certainly I think they're going to be hoping to maybe get some of their younger guys into the game and uh, get some extended playing time for a lot of their backups. If, if all goes according to plan, that's going to be the plan for this Saturday. But let's talk a little bit about uh, the game from this past Saturday because it really was an impressive performance. And I think you got to start... You know, with how the Buckeyes really dominated the ground game. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, uh, after the first week of a season, you know, he was maybe the guy who was in the fans' crosshairs the most as somebody who wasn't performing up to his potential, uh, had been a little bit disappointing in his first game. And the last two weeks, he's been great. He's really responded to that. Uh, he was especially great at Indiana, ran for 193 yards, scored a pair of touchdowns, uh, was the Big Ten co-offensive player of the week. Uh, and he did all of that while playing uh, one series of the second half because the game was so out of hand that they took him out uh, after a first drive of the half. So a really good performance for J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I think he's shown, once again, that he can be one of the best running backs in college football. Yeah, in the offseason, like, that's sort of what everyone talked about. There was two J.K. Dobbins storylines, really. It was he didn't have a good last season. He was very public about that. He was very open about that. The coaches, Tony Alford and Ryan Day, were both open about that. And then also getting back to his freshman form and at the same time thinking that he's the best running back in the country and he knows he didn't prove it last year. And in game one, like I know like, like it felt a little bit like a nitpick at the time, but at the same time, he he ran for four point three yards per carry. I don't think he had a great game, and even in even in the even in the sort of the week leading up to the Cincinnati game, the second week of the year, uh, second game of the year, you sort of you had Ryan Day, like he. He, it's not like he was outright challenging J.K., but it, it seemed pretty clear that he knew that J.K. had had more in him, um, and we totally saw that the past two weeks, but especially on Saturday. I mean, he he's doing. There are two things that I think are really 
the key things about about this running game. One, the offensive line. I don't. I I'm I'm gonna like temper my optimism about the offensive line just slightly, just because I think that the talent and the size and the, and the skill of some of the defensive linemen um, is not going to be close to what they'll face later in the year, especially if they get to where they want to go in the postseason. Um, but I've been super impressed by them. And also, J.K. has just been finishing runs. Like he, he's been bouncing off people. He's been, he's been contacting people. He's been. There were times I think in the first game where he he hit someone, and it was more like he got hit rather than he hit someone. He has been just delivering the blows the past two Yeah, games. I think Wyatt Davis on Tuesday compared him to Marshawn Lynch, uh, his 26-yard touchdown run in the game where he had a really good stiff arm, finished through a couple defenders, uh, probably his most impressive run of the day. Uh, and, and I agree. I think he has. He's gotten more physical. He's gotten more confident. I think he was really challenged by Ryan Day and by Tony Alford after week one to to really uh, get back to being the J.K. that they knew he could be. And I think the past two weeks – uh, he has shown that he challenged I, himself a bit too after the after the first like even after the after the second game when he was talking he was like passing the past like I he didn't want to talk about that. Well, first I mean, game. And, and, and I mean, we saw him in the off season. He was calling his last season terrible and a failure. So he's somebody who thinks he should be one of the best running backs in the country. And so mm-hmm. this level of the past two weeks, this is what he expects of himself. This is what Ohio State expects from him and you know Ryan Day had talked about it before the season that they were going to need to lean on J.K. Dobbins and they really did that on Saturday now it wasn't just J.K. Dobbins who was impressive Uh, Master Teague uh, sorry to Mario McCall but I think Master Teague has clearly established himself as the number two running back at this point had 106 yards including a 40-yard touchdown against Indiana uh, he's a guy who, another guy who the coaches were clearly challenging uh, coming into the season. Uh, had missed most of preseason camp with an injury. Uh, I think they really wanted to see him, you know, get out there and and be healthy and and produce. And now I think the past few weeks, now you could see, you know, even Tuesday when Ryan Day was asked about uh, Master Teague, uh, the tone was a little different. It was a little more of, okay, now we've started to see it. Uh, now we're really starting to feel good about Master Teague. So he's living up to his name. Yeah, Master. It's yeah, a great the, name. Can't the, get uh, the the Master Teague Steel Chambers uh, backfield duo is still yeah. something I would love to see someday. But Purely right on name value. Alone. Right now, it's for J.K. Dobbins, Master Teague. Well, but is it? Is it because like this? I think this is one of the more interesting parts of the offense that we'll see in the next month or so. All right. Like we've seen Master Teague have these great runs in the second half. Like, is it going to be? Is it going to be the J.K. Well, Dobbins Master Teague backfield? It's not going to be a fifty-fifty split. It's not going to be J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. That's I don't. I think they've made that pretty clear. That that's not what they want it to be. But I do think that Master's going to get more opportunities the more that he continues to run the way he is running. Uh, you know, what are, what are those more opportunities look like? I, you know, I, I think what we saw. What we saw. Yeah, we saw on Saturday. Um, he played six snaps in the first half he never came in for more than two snaps at a time uh in in the first half he he would just kind of mix in for a couple carries whenever jk needed a breath and then they'd put jk right back in i think you want to work him up to the point where you feel confident putting him in there for an entire series uh in a competitive game and i don't think they've quite gotten there yet i think he's on the right track um, you know, I think there's other things that go into that too. Like when I was watch, I was rewatching a game on Monday night, and one thing I noticed that I didn't notice during the game was on uh, Justin Fields' deep ball touchdown to Chris Olave. Teague actually completely whiffed his block, and Fields had a guy coming at him, and uh, he held him up just enough that Fields was able to make the pass and complete the touchdown. But those are the kind of things that coaches are going to be looking at on film and saying, okay, this is an area that he still needs to get better before we really trust him as somebody we're going to put out there for an entire series in a close game. It's funny because when you mentioned his block for a second, I thought you were going to talk about this other than I remember where he just took on a defensive tackle up the middle, and it was really impressive, and that's not something that I see. But like you said, it's about the consistency of it. Um one of the things that I I find a little bit interesting about this is, um, like, sure, so you had, we saw a lot of the J.K. Dobbins, Mike Weber um, backfield. And it, like, I don't know about you, but I just never thought that they got it, they got it running the way they wanted to. I like They certainly didn't last year. They didn't have the ground game that they wanted. Even the year prior, I thought they're at, I didn't think that they necessarily knew when was the best to put them in, when was the best to, to put J.K. in versus Mike. I think it's a little interesting with Teague, just the way he runs. 
I sort of like the way they use him, and I almost like like you're obviously not gonna against a, in a competitive game play J.K. only the first half and Mike or and Master only the second half. But at the same time, I I sort of like the idea of Master T being coming in a little bit later in the game, being a little bit fresher because the way he runs is so punishing. Like he is this four four speed who has. I would love to know his body fat because it's extremely low. That dude is a ball of muscle, and just the way that he runs, I think, is punishing, especially late in the games. Well, and I do think that there is uh, value in being more strategic about how they use their running backs, and I think that was kind of what you're getting at in terms of the last couple years. A lot of times with Dobbins and Weber, it was truly just, okay, one plays one series, one plays the next series, and they just kind of alternated. And it was kind of mindless, and I think sometimes it would put them in situations where maybe the running back who was best for that situation wasn't in the game. I agree. Because they were just so stuck on their rotation. And I think this is something that we've seen across the board with this team this year, offense, defense, really everywhere, is this team's gotten a lot more flexible and open to doing things differently to not having to be stuck in one way of rotating players. I think every week they've done things a little bit differently, and I think we're going to continue to see that as the year progresses because I think that's kind of the way Ryan Day wants it to be. He doesn't want them to to fall into just doing things the same way every single week and, and relying on those. I think he wants them to always be kind of changing things up a little bit. So... Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. I like I said, I don't think this is ever going to be a one-for-one one rotation between J.K. Dobbins and Master Teague. Uh, I don't think that's what they want it to be. I don't think that's what it should be. I think Dobbins should carry the load for this team as long as he continues uh, to run the ball as well as he has the last two games. Uh, but I do think that you know Teague's role. I do think it will continue to increase a little more. Uh, if he continues to run the way he has the last couple games, and I, and I think there could still be, I think there is still a role for Demario McCall. I, I think it's as a third down back. It's very, I, it's very minimal. But yes, there, I think, I think it's someone. a third down passing game role, and I think that's what he is at this point. Um, yeah, it's a role in which he might not get any carries, and they're probably okay with that. Yeah, and I, and I just think that that's kind of a reality that needs to be accepted at this point. Is I think. This is a guy in 11 Warriors. I wouldn't say us, but I think 11 Warriors as a whole has probably been guilty of overhyping DeMario a little bit for the past uh, three or four years. Uh, and he's a very likable guy, and he definitely has some explosive ability. And I think he's a guy that in the return game uh, can be a weapon. But I, I think the idea of him ever being this uh, running back who sees 20 carries a game... I, at this point, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think one key thing that, that has to be mentioned with, with the DeMario discussion, too, is I'm not sure he necessarily fits what Ohio State wants from this offense, what they quote want their quote-unquote identity and identity to be. And just the way that you look at this offensive line, how it plays, it's really punishing. It's really it's really physical. They like to they like they like to get to the second level. They like to if you watch like some of if you pause. The game. If you if you click play when the when the play starts, and you pause the game a couple seconds later when the when the line when the running back's about to cross the line of scrimmage, there's a lot of times where the defensive lineman would be a few yards back. Like they love just sort of teeing off on guys, and that that is the style of offensive line play that I think Dobbins and, and Master Teague thrive on. Yeah, we can talk about the running backs all day, but they're only as good as their offensive line in front of them. And I think the offensive line has been tremendous for free games so far. I think. Uh, all three of those guys have been champions for the first three games. Uh, I think across the board, Thayer Munford, Jonah Jackson, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, Brandon Bowen. There's been a lot to like about the way all of them played. Like you said before, uh, cue the repeating clip. Oh, thank you. They, they, haven't, they haven't played a really strong defensive line. You know, they play Michigan State in a few weeks. It's going to be a lot tougher to move the ball. Uh, it's going to be much, you're definitely going to play some much better defensive lines as you get into the heart of Big Ten play. But I think it's been a really positive sign for a group that was pretty much pretty inexperienced, uh, really hadn't had much experience playing together coming into the year. Uh, they've just all really seemed to be on the same page. Like you said, there's been a different level of, of punishing and nastiness with this group that I just don't think we really saw last year. And I, I think last year's offensive line sometimes took more flack than it deserved. But I do think that there's a clear difference 
in what you're seeing this year with just the way that this offensive line really goes after people and, and really tries to impose its will on the game. Yeah, it epitomizes sort of like there there are some cliches that I think that we heard a lot throughout the offseason. And like they're cliches, but at the end of the day, like they do, they sort of um, show themselves out on the field. And like the two that I can think of are one on defense, the pursuit to the ball, yep. like that is visceral. You see that, and two, like toughness, like that's like how do you find toughness? Obviously, like it's 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 sort of hard to actually see it and be like that's toughness. But the offensive line runs like they've heard the word toughness. Four million times this offseason. That's the kind of style they play, and to, and to be honest, like that's also the kind of style that the running backs play. And I think that's 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 what's going to be this this offense. And you can tell the offensive line wants to knock guys over. Those running backs want to finish through contact. That's what they want to see. They want, you know, they they talked a lot in lead up to the offseason about what happens when you get punched in the mouth. Well, they want to go punch. They want to go punch the opponent in the mouth. They want to. They want to go and, and have a little attitude. I think especially guys like Jonah Jackson and, and Josh Myers, I think we've really seen that with them is, you know, those being guys who really want to, you know, knock guys into the ground. And I think they've done a good job of that so far. Uh, like you said, we're, we're going to see tougher competition, but I think it's been a really promising start for those guys. And, of course, I think the same is true about Justin Fields. We actually didn't start by talking about Justin Fields this time, and, and that's by design because – I think Justin Fields against Indiana, I think he was solid, uh, but I don't think he was great. I think compared to his first two games, this was his least sharp performance. It didn't matter because the run game was so good and, and Indiana was so overmatched that he didn't have to be perfect, but uh, it, it wasn't a perfect game. He did miss some deep balls. Uh, don't think he really... I think he carried them more in the first two games. I think in this game, I, I think he was more carried by his running game. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, there's – like when I watch Justin Fields play, even though he just didn't have his best game, I'm, I just still leave impressed. Like he makes he makes some throws that just like you see that arm strength. And like we heard it way back in the spring when K.J. Hill said he has the strongest arm – or he has a stronger arm than, than Dwayne Haskins. And like – which is saying something. It is saying something, and and you you but you sort of see that, and also like the elusiveness in the pocket, like that that won't necessarily um, show up in, in in his passing stats, but like he just gets away from stuff that I think most that I I know most quarterbacks wouldn't. I know the quarterback last year wouldn't. I know I know that Dwayne wouldn't, um, and just those those two attributes they sort of shine to me um, against Indiana, even though. Yeah, he, he sort of he passed the ball a little bit, I think a little bit more like we thought he would coming into the year. And, and yet, it was still better than, than what I would have imagined six months ago. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Day said on Tuesday that Justin Fields is, quote, light years ahead of where he thought Fields would be so far. And I agree. Uh, 13 total touchdowns, no interceptions for three games. Uh, I, I think his poise, uh, how composed he's looked, he, he's really looked comfortable in this offense. And that's why I didn't necessarily think we see. I thought I thought we'd see a lot more growing pains. Uh, I, I thought we'd see more mistakes. Uh, he did get away with a couple near interceptions on Saturday, but everybody does. Uh, he's just played really good football. He's He looks confident out there. Uh, he, he looks like he knows what he's doing. He Doesn't street cred per yep. Mike Yersich yep. like he, that? He makes smart decisions with the ball. You know, it's our job to nitpick. I know one guy was a... Uh, Yelling at you, Colin, on Twitter the other day for being too critical of him, and I, I think he, I think I saw that he unfollowed me on Twitter after that. Yeah, so uh, shout out, that. shout out to you for for thinking that we've been too mean to Justin Fields, but I think we've been pretty positive, uh, pretty complimentary of Justin Fields, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, I think he's had a, he's had a great uh, first three games, and uh the way he's playing uh, he's certainly a guy who's who's in the conversation if he can continue to do this again against tougher opponents he's a guy who's going to be in that conversation as one of the best quarterbacks in college football yeah he somehow already found his way into a little bit of heisman action just three games into the year and i assume against miami ohio that's probably not gonna probably not gonna change yeah we'll go ahead and say fau cincinnati indiana again there let's we'll see how he does when we get into the meat of the schedule really it had know, been five minutes so know. we definitely needed to say that Let's go to the defense now. Once again, dominant at Indiana. Third straight game that Ohio State held its opponent under 300 yards. They held Indiana just 
42 rushing yards on 31 carries. That's 1.35 yards per carry. Uh, only touchdown for Indiana came on a trick play, a wide receiver pass to a wide-open tight end. Uh, at that point, Ohio State was already up 30-3. to three. Uh, Indiana was going to the bag of tricks. Uh, I can't say that's something that uh, is worth spending too much time getting concerned over. Uh, those things are going to happen. You can't let them happen over and over again, but uh, when the only real big play you give up of the entire game is a trick play, that's a pretty good thing considering last year we would see teams just run their offense and hit big plays against Ohio State all the time. We're, we're seeing the same things that we've seen all year in the same way that last year we saw the same things all year. It's just a totally different side. Instead of having dudes run for 94 yards randomly, you're, you're, they're having 42, 42 yards on 31 carries. Like that is, I would say, um, like I, I know that, that the pass defense has been pretty impressive. Like Damon Arnett, I thought he really shined. He was a player of the game. He had a 96-yard touchdown um, interception. But like to me, like I haven't been impressed with, with anything on this team more than I have with the run defense. I think that, that, is, that is the number one part, on the, part of this team that I think I am, I am so confident that, that, it will, that it will live up to against better opponents. Just the way, like, there's two things. I think, one, the line the line is really sound in their gaps. I think the defensive tackles in particular, I'm not, like, I know Draymond Jones is a, was, a, was, a, was a great pass rusher last year, but I think Jayshon Cornell is really solid against the run, too, and I think Haskell Garrett is as well. And then those linebackers, like, just the way they fly to the ball, they get off blocks super well. Like, I think, I think Ohio State is going to be one of the most challenging teams in the country to run the ball on this entire year. Well, and you mentioned it earlier. Uh, the, the big refrain from the defensive coaches all off season is, we're going to be fast. We're going to play fast. We're going to run to the ball. If you don't see our guys running to the ball, there's a problem. And, and like you, I kind of thought that was coach speak. I kind of thought, uh, you know, that's just kind of something you, you say. Uh, to motivate your players, and it might not be that obvious in an actual game, but it has. It, 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 it absolutely has been obvious. The way that these guys are just getting to the ball so much faster. And, and there, there's been times in every game where, I, where you see a play, and, and I see that play, and I think if this was last year, that team would have scored a touchdown right now. Because last year, when, when the defense was out of position, and they were out of position a lot, they typically didn't recover. This year... When a team does find a hole, they're they're so fast in pursuit that the vast majority of time they get there, they clean it up, they avoid critical damage, and then they've also been excellent in the red zone. I think I looked it up the other day, and they were like fourth in the country in terms of uh, red zone defense uh, because. Even when their backs have been against the wall, they've done a great job of coming up with plays. You know, Damon Arnett's uh, certainly an example. Uh, they were trying to throw a touchdown pass on that play, and Damon Arnett picked it off and went all the way to the other end zone for a 96-yard touchdown uh, for the defense. But uh, they've, they've just done a really good job of uh, playing fast to the ball. Uh, I think they're doing a really good job of another thing the coaches talked about is when they do get beat on a play, they immediately regroup and they just keep playing. I think last year, when they get hit with a big play, uh, heads would start to hang, uh, guys would lose confidence, and, and things would just start to spiral. Where I think this year, even when a team does hit a play, they bounce right back. I think a big part of that, um, like I know in the offseason, everyone has talked about Jeff Halfley because the man gives better press conferences as a coach than almost anyone who has, who has come through the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. But like the pursuits of the ball, like those kind of things, I think that's a big Greg Madison thing. That's, Absolutely. that's something that we've heard from him since the spring. And, and I know everyone gives credit, deservedly so, to Jeff Halfley. But it's worth mentioning, like, I wasn't 100% sold that Greg Madison was a great hire just because of sort of his trajectory. Like, it seemed like he was going to retire as the defensive line coach at Michigan. Why would you go grab him, make him your offensive coordinator? To me, it didn't 100% make sense. But, like, that is that is a visceral thing that I think you can attribute to Greg Madison. Well, and Al Washington said it on Tuesday when he was asked about how fast the defense was playing. He did attribute it to Greg Madison. And another thing he said was about anticipation, and he said that, uh, Madison does such a good job of figuring out what the offense is going to do and explaining it to his players that the players are are prepared 
and they know what's coming, and that allows them to play faster. So I think these defensive coaches are, are surely doing an excellent job. I don't think there's any question, even with the competition caveat that we keep bringing up, even with that included, I just don't think there's any question that this defense is playing at a higher level than last year. And part of that is they're a more experienced group, but I think really, really, I really think the biggest reason is I, I think these coaches are just doing a better job. I think Greg Madison, Jeff Halfley, Al Washington, Matt Barnes, Larry Johnson was already doing a great job, but I think these new coaches that have come in, the style of defense that implemented, the buy-in that they've gotten from their players, uh, I, I just think it's such a, a visible change. And I think you have guys like Damon Arnett, you have guys like Pete Werner, who the Terminator? Pete Werner, Pete the Terminator Werner. He he played like it on Saturday, and these are guys who got a lot of criticism for their play last year. Uh, these are guys who were not always great last year, and, and I think they're just playing with so much more confidence, and they're being put in positions to succeed. And uh, yeah, I mean, I th I think this defense uh, again, we we got to see it. I think Nebraska. Uh, coming up in two weeks, I think will be a tougher test for them, and I think uh, that's going to be a really telling game if they can continue to play at this same level. But they certainly look like they have the ability to be one of the best defenses in the country this year, and that certainly wasn't the case last year. Yeah, I mean, we'll mention like probably a couple more people, and then we probably want to move on yep. to to another thing. Like Chase Young is turns out that he is somehow better than he was last year. And he had ten and a half sacks last year, and went an entire month with a pair of sprained ankles that that severely limited him. The dude is unblockable right now. They no no team has figured out how 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 to block him yet, and I don't anticipate that happening unless you're gonna give him three guys, multiple guys, just try and confuse him every single play, um, which I imagine some team probably should do at some point. Um, but the man. The man is playing at a level that I like. I can't say I've seen every player on defense in the country, but show me someone who's who, who's a defender who's played better than him. Well, and I think if you talk to the NFL draft analysts out there, a lot of them will agree uh, that this is a guy who, uh, come next April, is going to be a very very high draft selection. It's a lock for the top. Uh, assuming he declares, which I think is safe to assume. I would go uh, with 105 percent. Yeah, on that. yeah, I think. Uh, that is extremely likely. Uh, he's certainly a guy that NFL scouts are looking at and the way he's playing right now. I don't know if his stock can get much higher, but he's done everything he can so far this year to maximize that draft stock. Uh, one more guy we got to talk about is Chris Olave. Uh, blocked a punt for a safety. Second time he blocked a punt, of course, the first coming last year against Michigan. Also caught a touchdown pass. To me, he has established himself as the best receiver in Ohio State's receiving core at this point. And with what he's doing on special teams, he's also the team's lead gunner on punts. Uh, he's shown he can block punts. Uh, I think he's one of the team's best all-around players. And that's not a guy who we would have expected that from as one of the lowest-rated recruits coming in a year ago. But uh, he, he's just become an excellent player for them. And in a receiving core that needed somebody to step up with Paris Campbell gone and Terry McLaurin gone, and Johnny Dixon gone. I think he's done that so you far. You bring up an interesting point. It's been something that I haven't written about. I've, I've sort of, it's been a thought in my mind for like a month now. I remember asking you before the season about, about this. Um, if you look, so like, think back to the 2014 National Championship season. And if you look at that roster, that thing was littered with sophomore, second year players who were major, major impact players on, on, on that team. And it big reasons why they won the national title. If you look at this team, like that's just not the case. It is a it is a more veteran team. In fact, like I know Ryan Day, he he mentioned in the spring about challenging this the second year class. I wonder if there's like I don't whether it be a twinge of disappointment or, or like a thought like wow like there's not a ton of these guys who are playing because let me just run through this. All right, so there's 26 guys. I'm gonna do this really fast. So Nick Petit Frere, backup, Teron Vincent injured, Tyreek Johnson, he hasn't played much, Jalen Gill, he hasn't played much, Tyreek Smith, I think that we thought he was gonna be probably the first defensive end off the off the bench, although he now got injured and TBD on we'll see his status. Um, Jeremy Ruckert, third second, third tight end, Taraja Mitchell, backup, Tommy Togai, third string, Matthew Jones, backup, Josh Proctor, backup, Cam Babb injured, Brian Sneed off the team, Tyler Friday. Backup, Matt Ray, 
backup, Blue Smith transfer, Dallas Gant, um, backup, Antoine Jackson, backup, Kayvon Pope, backup, Javante Jean Baptiste, backup, Seven Banks, backup, Master Teague, backup, Cameron Brown, backup, Matthew Baldwin transferred, Chris Olave, co-starter, yep. starter, uh, Alex Williams, backup, Marcus Hooker, backup. Like, just think about that. There is one starter slash co-starter on that team. Well, I mean, I mean, Tyler Friday right now might be a starter at defensive end with Tyreek. Yeah, and, but we're and not we're not going to call him that. Like if like technically Tyreek Smith was a starter last week, I think Jonathan Cooper will be well, back yeah, soon. No, but again, but 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 you got to look at the flip side of that. If if you have that few guys who are starting, then that means you've got a really strong group of third, fourth, and fifth year guys. It and does I think, if it does if they're playing this well. So I I agree with and that. And also. Yeah, he wasn't actually a part of that class, but they do have the number two <laughs> overall recruit in the class of 2018 it, little, yeah. starting at quarterback. So it's a little it's a little bit disingenuous here to say, oh, they don't have sophomores contributing. Cause, but most of, no, 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 no. But I most say important that. I, player on off, the team. I didn't say they didn't have them contributing. Well, you caught me off guard with this conversation. I didn't even know we were going down this Yeah, road. no, of course. Um, and, like, I, they are contributing – but if you look at them, like who among that group is a key contributor who, if you took them away from this group, it would be a big problem. I can count a few of them. Like Chris Olave, I think we would both say Tyreek Smith. If he's healthy. If he's, well, in which case, like it would be a big issue if he wasn't there. That, um, like Jeremy Rucker, I think, I think they could, like he, he's there. He, may, he caught two touchdowns the first week. We just haven't seen him much. Um, I think they would love to have Teron Vincent there. Tommy Togai's playing a, a decent amount, but at the same time, they, they still have Landers and, and Devon um, playing a lot. I just think this class is really interesting because I'm I think there aren't a ton of dudes who are who are there who are like who I think they're disappointed in, and then maybe it says much more about the veterans. But I think it's it's really interesting to look at that group, see what they've become, and also what they haven't become yet. Because I think there's a lot of guys there who next year will be starters, yeah. but right now they're they're still in reserve roles. They're still complementary players. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential for that. Um, I also think that's a good good topic to revisit down the line because we have a lot of questions here that I want to get to, uh, some, some good topics to talk about. Um, it was going to get a little bit more into the big picture. We'll get back to that if we have time because we do have some good questions here uh, that I, that I want to get to from our readers. Um, and and the, fir the first one kind of gets into some big picture stuff that I was going to ask about. Uh, that's from New Philophan. And, and thanks to everyone on the 11 Warriors forums who submitted your questions. Uh, you can always do that. We, we try to put up a thread every week uh, for people who want to ask questions. Uh, and you can also send us questions on Twitter, uh, email, however you want to get them to us if you, if you have things you want to hear about on the podcast. Uh, but the first one from New Philophan is, has the performance by the Buckeyes in the first three games met, exceeded, or didn't meet your expectations? I got to go exceeded on that one. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's really. I would be hard. We, I would love to meet someone, by the way, who said they haven't met their expectations. I would. Yeah. That would be. I would be fascinated your by that person. Expectations have to be severely high uh, for that. You know, we both talked about. We talked about it when we were driving back from Indiana the other day. We both predicted that Ohio State would go eleven and one this year. I thought I might be giving the Buckeyes too much credit, Ben, and I think you were a little bit hesitant on that too. But now I feel really confident that this team can win 11 regular season games because you look at the way they played and then you start looking more at their schedule. Uh, you look at most teams, even the best teams, there's usually a bad game somewhere along the line. There's usually a game where a team loses to a team that it shouldn't lose to. But when you look at the schedule from top to bottom, there's not a lot of teams on that schedule that you're going to look at and say, uh, this team should really pose a threat to Ohio State. Uh, there's teams that can beat them, sure, but for the most part, Ohio State is going to have a clear talent advantage over most teams that it plays. And so I, I think if, provided Justin Fields stays healthy, that's the biggest caveat in the whole thing, and uh, I think we're going to talk about backup quarterback shortly because someone asked about that as well. But provided Justin Fields stays healthy, uh, I think this is absolutely, uh, I would stick by that 11-1 prediction. I think they'll lose somewhere down the line. But uh, this is a team that right now should be favored to win every single game it's going to play, and they're going to be really tough to beat. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. They've exceeded my expectations. Like, and it, it's, they haven't exceeded my expectations in a way that I now would predict them to go 12-0, but now I see that as a possibility, whereas I think if you asked me a month ago, 
like I picked them to go 11 and one, but at the same time, I really felt pretty strong that they would have a slip up. Now, like, listen, I'm not I'm not picking them to go 12 and 0, but it's certainly not inconceivable in the way that I I think it would have been harder to convince me of that um, maybe a month ago. Yeah. Now, with this talent, you you can always go 12 and 0, but I just at the time it's still, I right, we, the time I didn't see it. Right, and it's 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 very hard to do. It's very hard to do, and that's why I would still pick 11 and one right Same. now. Very. There isn't one game that I look at and say I think Ohio State's going to lose this game, but I do know how hard it is to go 12 and 0. It, it happens very rarely for a reason. And uh, but what I would say is this: I really don't. One thing I really don't see happening for this team is I don't see this team losing by 31 points to an Iowa or 29 points to a Purdue. I think this team might lose at some point. But I don't see this team going and getting embarrassed by a team that they, they have no business losing to. Yeah. I think if this team loses, I think it's going to be a competitive game. I don't think the way this team... Yeah, there will be a new type of loss that they didn't have the last two years. Yeah, I, I don't see it being... Because I think there's some people who are, are going to ask the question, and we'll get into this a little bit more depending on how things progress as the season, but people are going to ask the question, does Ohio State have to go 12-0? and to make the playoff and again that's going to be something we're going to kind of see more how things play out over the course of a year but i think the big thing is you can't lose by 29 to purdue and i don't see that happening yeah. this year yeah i just really quickly before we move on to the next questions i know we spent a lot of time on this one but it's a good one because like when i think about um when i think about this this team and the way that we talk about how complete it is. I asked you in the car coming back from Indiana, does that say more about their floor or their ceiling? And I think it says more about their floor, just because you can cover up some things um, if if something were to go wrong. I don't think that it's a it, it would be a dire situation. I don't think that all of a sudden they can't tackle at all and they're not pursuing the ball. I don't think all of a sudden the offensive line is just going to completely regress. I don't see that happening. I think that the way that, that, that this team is complete, I think they can cover up some of those areas in a game like a Purdue or an Iowa. Yeah, I lean more towards ceiling because I still think you could be a Justin Fields injury away from uh, having some major problems. Uh, I, I still think that uh, the thing, there's always things that can go wrong, but I do think this is a team right now that uh, their potential is as high as any team in the country. Uh, how do they stack up against Clemson and Alabama and Georgia and Oklahoma and LSU? I'm not ready to really have that conversation at this point. I, I still think we've got to see more from every one of those teams to really get a feel for that. But to me, I think there's an elite six teams in college football right now, and it's those five teams in Ohio State. And I think Ohio State is firmly in there. And I, and I, and I say this. I think they're better than last year. I'm, I'm ready to say that already. I think this team is better than last year uh, because I think the defense is substantially better. And I think just the way – this is a type of game – a game like that at Indiana last year, I just don't think that's a game they would have won 51-10 to 10 last year. I just don't think the way the team played last year, they were going in and really taking care of business in these games. They would win them, but they, they were always kind of – uh, I think Doug Lee Maurice Cleveland.com used this in a column yesterday, and it, it's true. It's kind of a yeah, but win. There are a lot of those for Ohio State last year, but uh, these last couple games, they've just gone out and just done what they're supposed to do, and I, I think we're going to see more of those. All right. Thank you, new Phil fan. Next question, Seattle Linga. Um, where do you think this? Where do you think the team's biggest weakness is overall? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, it's kind of hard to say because I don't really think anything's been exposed at this point oh what, what would you say so i think bill landis the athletic did a good thing um, wrote, wrote a good article on tuesday it was something that i sort of had like noticed a little bit in the in the past couple games and indiana definitely tried like i think i think teams to, to get around ohio state defense will try and find whether it be the seams they'll try it they'll try and confuse the offensive line they'll try and motion um i think what I'm waiting for, and the reason why I'm so confident in the in, in the run in the run defense, and and not yet the pass defense, is not like I'm saying anything bad about the pass defense. I just want to see it against a better team. Is I think this this zone defense and, and just this new this new schematics on the back end. I'm I'm interested to see what it'll look like against a team with with equal talent. And of course, there's very few of those teams. And I don't even necessarily think it's a weakness. But that's my wait and see. 
That's what I would call it. I wouldn't necessarily call it a weakness at all because I think if you have Jeff Okuda, Sean Wade, Damon Arnett, and Jordan Fuller, I, you couldn't conceivably call that a weakness right now. I just want to see this this scheme um, against a, against a team with a with a really good offensive mind and and really good talent. Yeah, I think that kind of leads into another question here from uh, Glass City Buckeyes of Indiana dipped into the bag of tricks. Uh, do you think Miami does the same? It better. I'll, I'll say this. I don't think it matters. I don't think it really matters what Miami tries to do. Uh, they're going to be completely overmatched. I, I, I don't really think – I really think unless Ohio State just totally doesn't focus this week, I, I, I really – I mean, even then I think they'd still win by 28 points. But I really don't think there's anything Miami can do in this game. Uh, so, like, so sure, I think they'll open up uh, – I think they will. I think they will – try some trick plays uh maybe one or two of them work but i don't think it's going to be nearly enough but i do think it's interesting uh to see what our team's going to do down the road and i don't think that's necessarily anything new because ohio state always talks about we get everybody's best shot teams always have things up their sleeves uh when they play ohio state uh trying to beat the buckeyes but i I do think that's going to be the key here I think when you start getting into this next portion of the schedule against Nebraska, against Northwestern, uh, Michigan State, Wisconsin, I think Ohio State is more talented than all of those teams. But I think the key for any of them to potentially beat Ohio State, and I think any of them potentially could, is you're going to have to have a really good game plan that throws something at Ohio State that they're really not expecting. And and I think if you're going to – I think if you're going to beat this Ohio State team with the talent they have, you're going to have to out-scheme them. You're going to have to out-coach them. We'll see if that happens. It hasn't happened yet, but I don't think anybody's had the talent to make that happen yet. Uh, but I do think you're going to see you know, more teams kind of have some tricks up their sleeves because that's the way you're going to beat this team. Um, next question. Weave 77. Of the true freshmen who have been getting playing time this year, which ones do you think will ultimately redshirt? And which ones do you think will continue to play? Yeah, this is a good question. This is a topic I actually wanted to talk about regardless. Uh, so thanks for asking this one, Weave77. Um, because, you know, I, I asked Ryan Day about it on Tuesday, and, and he said, you know, these are discussions that are going to have to be had in a couple of weeks. And, and he kind of said what I expected him to say, where, you know, they're not going to tell anybody verbatim that they're redshirting because if they think guys can help them, uh, they'll burn that redshirt, even if they initially think they're going to redshirt them, and they'll play. But the other thing he said was that we're looking our guys on our depth chart, our guys in our rotation, our guys in a position to help us. And if a guy is only going to play at the end of a game uh, in, in a blowout situation, then it probably makes more sense to redshirt him. And then when I think about that, to me, there's really only two guys that are locks not to redshirt. And those are Garrett Wilson and Zach Harrison. Those guys were never going to redshirt. They're not going to redshirt. They've already played three games. They're already in the rotation at their respective positions. They will probably only be at Ohio State for three years anyway, so there's no reason to redshirt them. They're going to play. You look at everybody else, nobody else in the true freshman, nobody else among the true freshmen is really playing a significant role for Ohio State right now. Now you have Marcus Crowley, Harry Miller, Jamison Williams, and Craig Young who have each played in all three games. Those guys would look like the most likely candidates not to redshirt. But I still think my guess would be everybody who can play is going to play against Miami on Saturday because they're going to want to see uh, this is this game is going to be the best opportunity of the year to just play everybody and see what inexperienced guys can do. So I think they'll get everybody in there. But after that, I, I think you have to start asking some of those questions about a Jamison Williams, about a Craig Young. Uh, is it worth continue to play them? Because they have contributed a little bit on special teams, but they're not regulars on special teams at this point. Uh, Marcus Crowley's a guy. You know, if something happens to J.K. Dobbins or Master Teague, you're probably going to need him to play. But if not... Right now, he's only been playing at the end of games. Uh, Harry Miller is a guy. Right do you want, now, do you want to just run through them each and just make a prediction? Well, I'm just kind of starting with those guys because the rest of those guys, I would predict they'd all redshirt. Um, is there somebody else that you you think? Well, is- you you called Garrett Wilson, and Zach Harrison, the only lots. Which, like, sure, yes, because just like they, like they're playing actual really meaningful minutes. But like, there's a couple other guys who like, I don't like. They're not locks, but like. I wouldn't. I 
I don't know. I lean towards them them not redshirting. Let's just run through them real quick. Steel Chambers, probably yeah, probably redshirt. Marcus Crowley. I don't. I, I think it. I think if Todd. I think if Dobbins and Teague stay healthy, it's it's worth considering. I. What's your pick? I'll 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 say. I'm gonna say no because they don't have that much depth of a position. That's my pick too. So I think they're gonna need him to play. He's already played in three games, so I'm, I'll say no. And plus, to me, you also have Steele that, that I think they're probably going to redshirt, and and I think you, right, I think really, it allows them the yeah, flexibility. Yeah, I think, I think that's most likely the plan. I think there's a possibility that they would play Steele in a couple of games if they would otherwise play Marcus to keep the redshirts for both of them. But I also don't know how concerned they are about that. So my guess would be no. Tommy Eichenberg. He's, he's going to redshirt. Cormonta Hamilton. He's going to redshirt. Yep. Zach Harrison. Not going to redshirt. Ronnie Hickman. Redshirt. Redshirt because of injury. Uh, Ryan Jacoby. Redshirt. Redshirt. There's no reason to play him. Dewan Jones. Ryan Day indicated last week that he will probably redshirt. That I do think he will play in those four games on the field block unit like we saw against Cincinnati. But I think uh, he's a guy who's raw. He's a guy who is going to be at the is best in the back end of his career, so I don't. I, I think they'll redshirt him unless. Yeah, there's basically if, no scenario. And, if, it's unless, the, if he's played four games, it's the national championship yep. game. And you need to block a field goal. You might put him in there. That's but. that's that to me is the only situation <laughs> yeah. in which you burn his redshirt. And to be honest, he's so raw. I, at least I. We haven't really seen him, but like I imagine he's so raw that you could redshirt him next year anyway. Um, next guy, Jaden McKenzie, redshirt. redshirt Harry Miller. So that's an interesting one for He's me. He's probably the most interesting one of these guys. Because we saw last year of Nick Petit-Frere, where he played in three of the first four games at tackle, exactly. and then he didn't play the rest of the year. So uh, I think they could do the same thing with him, but he is the backup center. He is the backup center, and I also think part of the reason why Petit-Frere redshirt last year is because after the first four games, the Buckeyes never blew out anyone enough to put all their backups in. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think the way this team is playing, I think there's going to be a couple more of those games. Uh, so I don't I don't know if they're going to want to necessarily hold him out. They don't, I don't know if they necessarily see him as a five-year guy. Uh, so I think that one's kind of – I think I'd lean toward no, but I do think it's possible they redshirt him. Obviously, that's a caveat of Josh Myers staying healthy because I think if anything happened to Josh Myers, I do think Harry would already be the next man up. Yep, my pick is no. I don't think they're going to redshirt him. Like a couple things. One, like first off, I feel like he's going to graduate in like a year. <laughs> like just the way that he studies. So like, why he? I don't. I don't know why he would be be at Ohio State for five years. Also, he's so good that he's going. Like I know they're not going to say this right now. He's going to start at center next year. I would almost see no possibility in which he didn't start at center next year. At least guard if not center um so i I think that you i think they play him right now in preparation for that in preparation for him being a three-year starter um noah potter probably unless unless these defensive end injuries keep piling up that that is my caveat i would say i think he's going to redshirt that said if jonathan cooper stays out for a long time if tyreek smith happens to be out for a long time maybe maybe they maybe they go ahead and burn it but i i imagine he redshirts bryson shaw redshirt kate stover Redshirt. That's what I honestly going into the year would have said I thought he would play, but he's only played in one game so far. That would tell me that unless he really comes on uh, on special teams, that he's probably going to redshirt. Yep, I think he'll redshirt too. I agree with that. Uh, Enoch Famahi. Did I say that right? I think you did. Oh, yep, man. Yep. I was. That was. That was yeah, that he'll was he'll redshirt. He, we might not see him for uh, like four years if he goes on a mission. So we'll see what happens with him. Jameson Williams. That's an interesting one for me. Um, because I think he's a guy that they like who's ready to play right now. But they're deep at receiver. Uh, right now he's the third string Z. So, And, he, and he's playing a little bit on special teams. Uh, I'm going to guess no, but I think there's a possibility there. Yeah, I think I, I don't know who I said earlier was the hardest. I think Jameson Williams is actually the hardest, because I, hardest to predict because I imagined that he was going to redshirt before the season. But the way that they have recruited wide receiver, I don't think that they necessarily need to redshirt him. They don't need him to have the eligibility of the four top 100 recruits that they're coming that they've got next year. I think it will be okay if he plays. So I think that he plays. Uh, last two, Garrett Wilson not going to redshirt. Craig Young played in three games. He's kind of on the same plane as Williams here. You know, he's been in on special teams, uh, but he's not playing every snap on special teams. He's just kind of been mixing in there. Uh, he's another guy. He's like he's kind of raw, so he might be better later in his career. But 
he's been out there. So I kind of yeah. lean towards no, but but I, I think that one's kind of still up in the air. And that, again, could be a situation where maybe they get crowd, maybe they get, uh, sorry, maybe they get Kate Stover in there a little bit more and and, and preserve both of their red shirts. I'm going to say no, but I think that one could be so Yeah, he's, he's really difficult. I am going to say that they redshirt him. I just, like you said, I think he's... I think he's a he's a great athlete. I think he's fairly raw as a football player. And if you look at the depth at linebacker, I think they're going to be okay. Or even a blowout, they wouldn't need him. Which is why I would, which is why I make my pick the way I do. A couple more questions to get to here. Uh, that was a good one. We have seventy-seven. So thanks for asking that. Uh, it was asked by Skunk Bearblood. Wow, what a name! First off, as for thoughts and analysis on the backup quarterback situation. Wait, I got three words to explain it. Would be Stunk great. Bear blood. And I would say my analysis would be it's not great. Uh, uh, I think that, um, you know, it, I, I, I do think listening to what the coaches had to say on Tuesday, uh, Ryan Day and Mike Yersich, I do think Gunnar Hoke is eventually going to be the number two quarterback on this team. I think he is more talented than Chris Chuganov, and I think they're waiting for him to to come and take it, which I don't think has happened yet, considering he, he still has his black stripe on, uh, considering he uh, is still learning the offense. Uh, I get the impression that he hasn't picked up the offense quite as quickly as the coaches had hoped. Uh, and I think that's why he's a third-string quarterback right now. Yeah, I get that too. I think, and I think you would probably agree with this, that they brought him in intending for him to be the backup, and he isn't yet, which is leads, concerning. It, it, is, a, it is somehow... They got a little more concerning at the quarterback depth, which I yeah, think I, I I think it's concerning. I, I think that uh, there is going to be a huge drop off if if ju- anything happens to Justin Fields. So I think they really need Justin Fields to stay healthy, which is why he hasn't run maybe as much as he could. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I they're going to keep working on developing those guys. That's really important. But I I, I do think yeah. there's a pretty big drop off there, and I don't think we can really sugarcoat that. Uh, Bartholomew, who, uh, if you aren't familiar, is a legendary uh, GIF poster. Colin says GIF in uh, in the forums at Eleven Warriors. Um, every time there's a commitment, he has some excellent uh, Chris Holtman and Ryan Day graphics that he uses uh, to signify those booms. So uh, he's a he's a very good commenter on Eleven Warriors, and he he asked us about. Uh, the quote that uh, Joey Kaufman of the Columbus Dispatch tweeted yesterday uh, from Miami coach, or Monday, I should say, from Miami coach Chuck Martin. Uh, he was asked about Ohio State, and his response was, it's kind of like going to recess, and they have the first 85 picks. And Bartholomew's question was, how do you think the players on Miami's team feel about this quote? Well, I mean, if I was them, I probably wouldn't love hearing it. I probably wouldn't love hearing that uh, my coach thinks everybody on the other team is better than I am, but I also don't think he's wrong. No, you uh, know what's funny is like they're this is the fourth game of the season. Like this is the second head coach to have done this. Lane Kiffin essentially did this in week one. Like he basically called the game for Ohio State before it even started. Yeah, his and, was about money. He said, "Why are you playing it, money?" Yeah, exactly. And um, and that's why Miami's playing in this game. They're <laughs> playing is. in this game for money and. Uh, all we got out of this from Miami was an unbelievably great quote. I mean, going to read like you don't get that every day. You get a lot of you get a lot of cliches. That and I did I, I, I did I listen back to the audio from the the Mac teleconference uh, and to kind of hear the context of that. And you know, basically when he continuing on with that, he said basically what he said was you know everybody on Ohio State uh, was never considering Miami. And everyone on Miami was not being recruited by Ohio State. And that's just reality. Uh, you know, even, you know, Cincinnati and, and Indiana, you, you find a few guys, you know, even FAU, they had a few guys who had played at big schools and, yep. you know, have those big needs. You look at Miami's roster, there's just nobody that's going to scare you on that roster. Every single position Ohio State is more talented, and that, that is not a hyperbole. I'd be scared of a Gabbert, though. Yeah. Yeah, Blaine Gabbert's uh, younger brother is actually Miami's starting quarterback, true freshman starting quarterback. Uh, actually played with uh, Cam Brown and Cameron Babb. They were his uh, two of his leading receivers at uh, Christian Brothers College High School in St. Louis. Maybe maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, but was the last true freshman quarterback to play against Ohio State 
what is it, Arthur, Arthur? Uh, Adrian Martinez. Oh, it was Adrian Martinez. I was just thinking of the Sitkowski yeah, game. Yeah, Arthur Sitkowski oh, for Rutgers. Man. Yeah, I that felt was bad a, for him. That was a rough one, but Martinez held his own. Uh, I think Adrian Martinez is better than Brett Gabbert. So I would hope. I think Brett Gabbert uh, could be in for an Arthur Sitkowski kind of day, uh, but we will see. Uh, as you can tell, we're not going to try to hype that game up for you on Saturday or, or make it look like uh, something that it's not because uh, we're going to be shocked if it's not a blowout. Uh, last couple questions here. Uh, we're about recruiting. Uh, Silver Sniper asked, uh, the commits have been ra- relaxing in the shade during the second half of summer and recruiting has cooled down a great deal. Any booms to keep an eye out for? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's one just like coming tomorrow that everybody Right, there's not one for. that like we know about and it's kind of just like simmering and we know it's coming sooner or later. Uh, the class of 2020 is already uh, so close to full at this point that... Uh, there's a few guys out there that are still chasing. Uh, obviously, the running back situation is the big question mark at this point, but uh, they've already, all, for the most part, their top targets are already locked down. So There's uh, a basketball commitment, so like, uh, there, there's your answer. <laughs> yeah, just had a basketball commitment <laughs> on Brown. Monday from Eugene Brown. So a uh, basketball team whose 2020 class was wide open needed to get a commitment. But that's it. No, no, no other football stuff that, that we but, know about but, right now. But – we want to make sure you all know uh, Zach Carpenter, of uh, a new football recruiting analyst at 11 Warriors, just started on Monday. So uh, he's going to be ramping up. His his first hurry-up is coming on Wednesday evening, and he's going to be our new point guy uh, for recruiting. So uh, direct uh, – he'll need a couple weeks to get ramped up, and uh, then you know he's going to be uh, providing all of our recruiting expertise at 11 Warriors. So uh, he'll be your guy to ask recruiting questions to going forward, especially during the season uh, when a lot of our focus is really on uh, what's happening right here, right now with the team. Uh, Gin and Juice, which is a very good, uh, very good username for uh, Eleven Warriors, asked us: Do you think the transition to a more NFL-based offense will provide a more balanced set of recruits? Will recruiting, in turn, continue to trend away from the Urban Meyer quote-unquote prototype players at the skill positions utilized during his tenure? My response to that would be: I think you're just going to go out and try to get the best players. I, I think the thing that Ryan Day has shown so far, uh, with and both sides of the ball is he's not going to be locked in on trying to do any one thing he just wants to do what puts his players in the best position to succeed and i think uh what you want to do ideally is get the best players have the best overall talent and then the more talent you have the more things you're going to be able to do well so i think i think what this guy is really asking is are they going to recruit the Jalen Gill, Demario McCall, the short, skinny, like slot H back role, the Paris Campbell, that kind of that kind of position? In which case, I'll say like maybe everyone won't like you won't think about that in the same way that you do when you think about Urban Meyer. It was synony- his offense was synonymous with that position and, and Percy Harvin, yeah. um, uh, especially. Like, when I look at the 2020 group of receivers, like they even have Mookie Cooper, who I think like. He's not exactly that, but he fits sort of into that into that model where I think you're right in that they're going to target they're going to target um, the best talent, and I think they sort of want like different talent. They don't want the same guy everywhere. Um, I think it's I, I always think it's interesting that Cormonte Hamilton is in the same position group as Jeremy Ruckert because they're so different. I think Cormonte Hamilton might have like eight catches in his career, and they might all come from fullback. Yet I think Jeremy Ruckert as a senior could spend more time. Um, he could spend as much time in the slot as he could at, at tight end. So I think that they, they look to be. I think they're looking to be versatile, looking to have a lot of options. They don't. They don't just want one specific type of player. Yeah, and I, I think they. I think they do. I think they do like to have multiple guys at each position who can do different things because that allows them to use different packages, uh, different looks, put guys in different roles. And and I think Day uh, kind of looks at roster building uh, with some NFL perspective. It's maybe a little different from Reb Meyer and that. Uh, you know, he's somebody who's used to going through an NFL draft and and, and doing that. I, I think he's is going to kind of look at okay, who's the best talent out there uh, all around the country, and, and he is you know trying to get top Ohio guys as well. He's doing a really good job of that so far, especially uh, for the class of 2021. Uh, so you know, he's definitely going to try to keep some of those local guys around. 
he's definitely going to uh, look all over the country for some of the best players as well. But I don't think there's any one you know particular style at necessarily any position that he's going to be looking for. I think he's just going to be looking for the best players and also looking for guys who they think fit culturally, guys who uh, are doing well in the classroom, who, who don't have a lot of off-field baggage, and who they think will mesh well with uh, the, the core values and the fundamentals that Ryan Day wants his program to be built around. Yep, and I, and I think that maybe they did trend even in, in recent years a little bit away from the quote-unquote prototype players and skill positions that, that Urban Meyer had. Um, and I... It's not like they're going to eliminate that. If, if Percy Harvin says, hey, I would like to go to Ohio State, they're not going to be like, well, we can't really fit you into this offense. That's Paris Campbell says that they're not going to say that. Um, but I think that they're not going to chase those guys. I think they're going to, they're going to see what they can get. They're going to take the best guys um, in, in, in sort of a lot of facets. Yeah, I think my philosophy is somebody who's followed the NFL draft for a long time and now, of course, followed college football and, and recruiting. My philosophy has always been find the best talent and then scheme to put those guys in the best positions to succeed. I think you're always going to do better if, if you go talent first and scheme second versus the other way around because uh, ultimately it's a player's game. It comes down to who has the better players and, and who utilizes those players in the best way. And I think these coaches that Ohio State has right now are pretty smart. They, they can change the way they do things from year to year and even game to game in order to best take advantage of the talent they have. I agree with all that. Well, I, I think it's about time to wrap up here. We, we've kept you guys for an over an hour here, so we want to thank you all for listening in to Episode 4 of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, we'll be back again next week uh, to talk about what we think will probably be a blowout win over Miami and, and look ahead to the first or second Big Ten game of the year against Nebraska, which uh, I think will be a much more interesting game to talk about. So we'll have plenty to talk about with that. Uh, thanks to everyone who submitted questions. We tried to get to all of them. Uh, and if you have questions next week, uh, we'll try to get to those as well. Uh, so keep listening in. Uh, thanks so much once again for uh, tuning into Real Pod Wednesdays. And we look forward to talking to you next week.